To the Knicks Wall Podcast presented by Whistle Sports. I'm your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me today is Eli Cohen. Eli, what is up? Hey, how you doing, man? I'm excited for the show. It's going to be a good one. Yes, and it is going to be a good one because we have a special guest. Draft season is finally here. It's days away. We can finally say days. And to help us, we have someone Eli put me on to for player breakdowns. It's he's really good stuff. We're going to put his YouTube channel in the pod link. So make sure you check that out after you're listening. Robel, Robel, welcome. Nice to be here, man. I'm excited to get into this draft stuff. Yes, me too. And I was, I think it was like a few weeks ago, I was starting to get fatigued because being a Knicks fan, it's kind of just endless draft talk and wishing on free agency. But we are finally arriving at the month of the draft. Yesterday, uh, target of the Knicks held his pro day, Tyrese Maxey. And for those who have been out of the loop on the Knicks, Kenny Payne, former associate head coach of Kentucky, is now with the Knicks. Worldwide West, a close confidant of John Calipari with the Knicks. So it kind of makes sense that Maxey would be a target for the Knicks. But, Robal, I'm going to toss it to you just to get your general sense on Maxey because me and Eli – have talked about Maxi enough. I just want to see what is your take on Maxi in terms of the prospect? Like, where do you have him on your board in terms of where you have him with Lamelo killing the other guards? Yeah, so I have him in the lower end of the top ten. Um, I think he's a he's going to be a really good off guard in the NBA, very good slasher, and I think he's going to be able to shoot pretty well. Um, I I don't like his passing as much as other people do. That's why I have him kind of lower. And I don't think he should be uh, tasked with running much offense. But he's still like, you know, he could, I feel like he can still score on all three levels. And his defense is also very good for a guard. He can guard both guard spots. And um, even though he's on the side, I still would, you know, take a player like that in the top 10. Yeah, I've gone both. I've gone back and forth with it because I would 100% trade down to target him. But after watching his highlights prepping for this pod, I, I kind of talked myself back into, hey, if Killian's gone, it's like, and it's between him and Kira, I wouldn't be totally upset if they listened to Wes and Kenny Pants like, hey, Max, he's pretty good. Let's go with him. Would you take him over Kira if you were Leon Rose? Sorry, I was muted. Um. If there's any, like, sirens that's happening, I'm sorry I'm at, and they just decide to have it now right when we're recording the pod. But um, I would rather have Kyra over uh, Maxi. I think he's a better prospect. And even though he is more of a point guard, I still think he's uh, – he gives you, like, the same off-guard um, archetype, and I think he has just more upside. And there's off-guards that are, like, you know, solid, and then there's, like, real secondary creators that really matter. And I think Kyra has more of a chance to be that. So I'd rather prefer Kyra over Maxi. 
Robert, so a question that I was talking with Mike with uh, before you came on was just sort of about trying to like decipher Maxie's kind of disappointing year at Kentucky. Cause like every time I think that I know how I feel about him, I find myself kind of going back the other way. Cause like recently I was watching some of his, you know, draft workout stuff and they had like a Mike Schmidt interview overlaid over the top and I'm listening to him talk and I'm watching him kind of like go through shooting drills and suddenly I kind of like wanted to run through a wall for this kid. Like it's hard not to like him, but he did struggle and like he struggled as a passer. He had a pretty rough shooting year and you know, like you said, for an off guard, he is kind of undersized that like he's like six, three with a six, seven wingspan. Um, and so there are times where I wonder if it, if he's just like as good as he looks when you just watch him kind of move on the floor. And there are times where I wonder if we're just trying to, if I'm like projecting more onto him than is actually there. So for people who are kind of worried about that disappointing year, what do you look to that makes you feel really confident about him succeeding as an off guard? So I would first look up his high school uh, shooting numbers and like the volume because he was a real good shooter, like amazing pull-up shooter. I would also watch just the high school mixtapes because he was pulling deep threes. Like he was known to be a shooter coming into high school. And just because uh, he shot 29% in a shortened season, I don't think um, you sh he's automatically just a non-shooter anymore. You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't think he's like a 40% guy, but I think he's – He's going to be like, you know, a 35 uh, to 36 type of shooter. And, um, yeah, like that's, that's the biggest concern with him, right? That's every time you hear that, it's just like, oh, 29% from three. And then the finishing numbers were very good as well. And the in-between game, I like it a lot. The floater was nice. Um, so, yeah, it's just you already have a three-level score. And then on defense, he, he doesn't have like crazy amount of stocks because he doesn't gamble like that. But he's a he's a real solid guard defender, and he can guard uh, the one and two position. So that's nice to have. And some people that say like undersized off guard, I don't really get it because it's like um, off guards aren't really always like six 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 five, especially guys that can like put the ball on the floor like that. So I, I'm not really worried about it, especially if you're um, if you have a, a bigger uh, ball handler. So yeah, that's how I feel about it. And then. Um, yeah, he's just going to be a three-level scorer. And then you also got to factor in, like you said, you'd run through a wall for him. I feel like everyone that watches the interview like has that same um, opinion because he's just a great kid to have. And it's just like if people watching him feel like that, imagine how his teammates, you know, being around him every day, imagine how they feel like that. So I feel like him just being a great locker room guy adds on to him as a prospect. Yeah, and I really think his stock would have went up a little more if Kentucky was actually in the tournament because every year it seems like Cal's guys, one of them always rises to the top when the tournament season comes. And I think Maxie was that guy. I think Hagens was solid. Quickly was a good sniper. Nick Richards had a renaissance year. But whenever I feel like Kentucky needed something big, whether it was guarding Anthony Edwards or just hitting a big shot like his one at MSG, it was Maxie taking it. And – even those percentages weren't low. And I watched a lot of Kentucky. Disclaimer, I'm a huge Kentucky fan. I never felt like, no, 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 no. Okay, good. I always felt confident when he shot the ball, as weird as it is. So in regards to his shot, I wanted to talk about his release. Because the one thing that seems to be legit with 
his shooting concerns is the low release. But I was watching some clips from his pro day. It looked like it was a little higher. Do you think that itself would lead to a little more percentages, or do you think it's simply, like you said, volume? I think it looked like more of a one-motion shot. Uh, the, the release point is still, like, about the same. And then he doesn't really, like, really have a nice follow-through as well. That's, like, my biggest worry with him. But it did look smoother. Like, it's, like he can get it off quicker. And I think that matters more if you're just not going to tinker. Like, you know, if you don't want to ha- put your release point higher, then make it go faster, right? And I felt like it was faster. Um, yeah, that is just my biggest, biggest concern. I also like this um, lower body footwork because I like to look at that as well. Uh, that was better than in college. So, yeah, like, as it, the only thing that worries me is because he can't create a lot of space, so he's going to have to shoot contested jumpers. So I still think he should raise his, um, his set point. But, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But I, I, do, I'm, I am worried about that. So, yeah. Yeah, and he has great shooting touch with that floater like you mentioned. And that kind of was his go-to shot at Kentucky when his shot was like when he was really feeling it. Does that type of shooting touch, because I think floater is one of the tougher shots, does that also build confidence and like, okay, maybe he is going to figure it out, even if he does have tight space? Like just the having that shooter's touch, is that kind of like almost a security blanket for anyone that's looking to invest in him? I mean, touch is like a part of it because touch is really hard to uh, like evaluate. It's probably the hardest thing in you know scouting. And but I would I would just look at the past numbers because you know there's a larger sample size there. Just because you're shooting against high school players doesn't mean you're still not a shooter, right? So it's like I would look at that and it's just four years of good shooting numbers, and then you have one year. It doesn't you know? I would rather look at those four years. So yeah, that's how I feel about it. Well, and you talked about him, you know, playing off of a a bigger ball handler, which to me, you know, since this is a Knicks podcast and the Knicks have two players basically that they have committed and said that they're building around, which is RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. And while RJ is definitely not like a primary initiator, he does sort of take some of those bigger ball handling uh, reps, but you know, the problem with those two and building around those two is they're both like Mitch of the non-shooter, obviously. And RJ, I think honestly shot better than I expected him to in his rookie year, especially after what he showed at Duke. Uh, but considering that and like the, the need for elite shooting around those two, how, how do you see, how do you see those three guys fitting together? Do you think that that would be like a, a guard wing pair that would work? I mean, it will work fine. I think there's just a lot of better options. Like, I would rather take uh, Kyra, like like I said before, and I would rather take, like, someone like Patrick Williams. I think those are better options. And, yeah, like, I mean, if you trade down for, like, Maxi and then you get, like, Maxi or, like, and Patrick Williams at the same time, which probably isn't, you know, uh, probably even isn't even possible now because he can go as high as seven, apparently. But if you can get that or, like, a Poku or something like that, it's, like, then we're talking um, something, you know, really nice. But, yeah, I feel like I would only really take Maxi if it was, like, a trade-down option and I could still get, like, a, another lottery-level prospect. Then it could work. But Maxi doesn't, like, solve a lot of issues. 
and that's my worry with him getting drafted by the Knicks. Where would you like to see him? I would like to see him. Uh, I've always wanted him in the to the Kings, like at at twelve. Yeah. So I like I like him there. I think him and De'Aaron Fox would be great together, and I also like him in the New Orleans. Yes. And those are like two of my favorite fits. Yeah, I, I would like them a lot. I mean, are you a Lonzo Ball fan? I because I really think that would he, him playing Lonzo's role instead. I would love that. Just because I don't think Lonzo's shot's gonna come nearly as far as Maxi's. Yeah, I don't. I I feel indifferent about Lonzo. So like, I think that would be a good fit. Even if you like trade Lonzo away, um, because I don't think he's like you know like a surefire thing in the future. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Maxi just I'm just really looking like how does he fit around Zion and Ingram, and he fits like perfect with them because they're both uh prospects that could be potential initiators, right? And then he just plays so well off of them. Right, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I just wanted to talk to you guys. I saw your Akuro video. I really liked it. And I didn't know that he was such a highly rated high school player, but also underrated at the same time. And now he's becoming an emerging prospect for the Knicks. But I don't even know if he's going to land past eight. So before we get into where Akuro could fit in with New York, what do you think he goes in the draft? Like if the draft was tomorrow, if you had to give your best guess, what do you think range wise or even a specific team in mind of where Okoro can end up? Um, I, le- I mean, Okoro is like a lot of teams could use him, right? Like the Cavs should probably draft him at five. The, the Hawks, it's either him or him or Vassell is one they should draft at six. And then Pistons, uh, Troy Reaver, the new GM, really likes athletic guys, so he'd probably be looking at Okoro as well. And then, yeah, like those three teams, like, like I wouldn't be surprised at all if they draft him. So it's like, I mean, Okoro fits on a lot of teams, right? Even if like the Wolves trade down or something like that, they'll probably take Okoro as well. And yeah, like, I mean, like, you know, a wing defender, like, you know, you need that in the NBA if you're trying to compete for the playoffs and he just provides that. He also provides like, you know, playmaking, um, driving to the rim and he's just, he's just a great prospect. So. Yeah. I had him go. I, we did a mock draft and I had the Warriors pick and I took a curl for that exact reason. Now the one worry with him, similar to Maxi, but I think a little more drastic is his jumper. And I believe he shot in the 20s from three as well. But that's really not his game. He's more of a driver. How bullish are you on his jumper? And I don't even think he has to reach even the mid-30s. But do you see him getting to, like, the lower 30s as a jump shooter or any type of potential there? Or do you think he's going to be more of, like, a lesser Iguodala kind of? I don't know if that's disrespectful, but. (laughs) Yeah, like – I like the Iggy comp until you look at the playoffs and then Iggy just magically turns into like a 40 point, like 40, 40% shooter every year. And it's just, I don't know how it makes, like it doesn't make any sense. So it's not like, you know, Okoro has that weird thing where he just becomes like a good spot up shooter. Um, I don't really, I, I, I just don't think it's like real fair to say to like that Okoro will be like a 35% shooter. I see him at most being like a 33 and like 
yeah, I just don't like, there's just not a lot that I can go off. Like, you know, the touch is okay at the rim. Um, he's never been a good shooter in high school either. He's always been like, I mean, the highest he's ever shot is like 31% in the EYBL. So it's like, there's not a lot I can go off. The free throw is below 70. Um, I don't like the overall form. So I really think the only way he gets like to be a good shooter is like he has to have like a complete jumper fix. I don't think it's completely broken, but he does need like um like a player development guy that like revamps it. And what's like the biggest thing holding Akuro back from becoming even like an average shooter? So is it just his mechanics or is it something it's just a lack of touch or anything specific that he could work with with a player development coach that could help it because it looks like Thibodeau really likes this guy and the reasons for it are obvious defensive menace he can dunk so that's kind of what Thibodeau loves so what would what would a player development coach really have to focus on if like if you were in charge of fixing a curl what would you try to attack first I would like I mean, I'm really a big fan of one motion jumpers and he has like a hitch. So it's like he pauses a little bit before he shoots. And then I would try to fix that. Just go like um, from the dip until the jump shot, like right away. I would try to make him do that. Um, He looks like he's just, he's just not a good shooter. It's just this thing is like, he's just straight, not a good shooter. It's not like he's an okay shooter with like bad mechanics that could get him to like a good shooter. He's just a bad one because every time he shoots, it's not the same shot, you know? And that's like the biggest thing that uh, bad shooters have. And the the lower body footwork is bad. Sometimes he sweeps. Sometimes he like crosses his legs. Sometimes he jumps straight up and down. I want him to sweep and sway a lot. It's basically you just jump a little bit forward so you don't have to use as much um, power in your um, arms and shoulders. So it's just like an easier shot for you. And then just like the follow through and everything, the elbow, just little things like that. There's just a lot of like uh, small things that's wrong with it. And yeah, I would just like completely try to rework it, just the approach and everything, upper body and lower body. Yeah, so I I had this question that I posed on Twitter a few months back. Um, and you know, in some, sometimes when I think about it, it seems a little crazy, but so obviously if you're building a team around RJ Barrett, Okoro is not like an ideal fit, right? There, there's, it's not perfect, even if you really like him. Um, but so what I was thinking about is like the two, the two of them, RJ and Okoro as prospects. And while RJ is clearly like a much better scorer, like just volume scorer, um, you know, when he got to the NBA, you see, like, his strengths are sort of, like, getting to the basket, even if he, right now, he's, like, pretty terrible at finishing, and the free throw, his free throw shot, like, deserting him made that a lot worse, but getting to the basket, making some, like, secondary playmaking, and then was just, like, a, not a great, but a sort of, like, hardworking defender who's pretty versatile because of his size and strength, um, and in, you know, when I say it like that, like those are all of Okoro's strengths too, right? He's like, he's really good at getting to the basket. He's a really good finisher at the basket. He's a good playmaker. And he's obviously a much better defender than RJ was pegged as coming in. So my question was sort of like, if you're thinking of them 
as sort of prospects, do you view them as sort of like a similar tier of player? Do you consider one of them to be substantially above the other? Um, yeah, how do you see those two sort of, not necessarily in terms of how they would help each other, but just sort of like on their own comparing the two and how they've like entered, like how they were entering the league? Yeah, I've seen this debate a lot. Um, people have asked me this question a lot. I'll probably lean RJ slightly. I don't think it's a big gap. The reason is I trust RJ to be at least a good spot-up shooter. And maybe as a high-end outcome, at least have that little mid-range pull-up. The thing, like, with Okoro as a shooter, too, he doesn't take any long twos at all. Like, some could say it's, uh, you know, he takes good shots, only he doesn't take bad shots. But I believe in the in-between game, so I think, like, that's a good way to project shooters as well. And he doesn't have that right now. And I think RJ could get to the mid-range. So, yeah, I think he at least hits spot-ups. And then with that, uh, I see them playing a similar role in the NBA as well. Just like a wing, like, linking player uses the uses their ability to get to the rim to play make for others. And, I mean, Okoro is a very good defender. RJ is like, he's like, he could get, like, slightly above average. He's he's gonna be like the fourth best defender on our team, but he won't ever like hurt you. That's how I feel like as him as a defender. But yeah, it's just I like the shot better, and yeah, that's that's just the differentiator. And do you think there's too much overlap for it to kind of make sense if these are your like two of your big building blocks? Yeah, I wouldn't like it. It's like, I mean, some people have advocated for it, but I just. I just don't see how you can make it work for both of them. I feel like both of them could get hindered by it, and that's not a good thing at all. So, and it's just like you don't see any either of them become like a a real creator. So then you have two guys that play the same role. It's like it's like kind of dra- drafting like Denny at eight. It's like, but like RJ already does what Denny does. It's like why would you do that? You know what I mean? It's like if they're so similar prospects, then why would you get like the same thing? It's like drafting Halley when you have like Frank. Like it's just it doesn't sure, or make how sense. the Cavs drafted Garland and Sexton back to back. Yeah, it's like it doesn't help either of them and it like reduces their trade value. Like I get best player available thing, but it's like they won't be the best player when in that specific situation. So you gotta also think about that. That's why I wouldn't really draft him. That's interesting. I think that's a good argument for Vassell because Vassell looks at least open to shooting mid-range shots. And unless that Twitter video was, hopefully it was a farce, he looked good at Florida State shooting for the most part. So that's where I was heading at. What about you? How do you like Vassell in New York? Because people were high on it. Now it seems like they're getting a little lower. I don't know if it's the mix of that weird video that got deleted or if people just are starting to open up to Carl Moore or Maxi or whatever it may be. What do you think about Vassell and how do you think he fits in New York? So Vassell is my number one prospect for New York, like number one realistic prospect over Killian Hayes. Mainly, um, the, so he doesn't, Vassell doesn't just shoot mid-range shots. He like has like a really nice pull-up game, which I really like. He's my fourth uh, best prospect on the board right now over Okongwu. So, yeah, I like his uh, three-point shot. I mean, the video, we can get into it later. I have my opinions on that. But 
I like his three-point shot. I think he will shoot, and I think he is a very good shooter. Uh, two years, he shot 41% on, like, a lot of attempts, so I believe in that shot. I believe in his mid-range as well. He has a high release point. He can, he can get it up over people, even though he doesn't have a handle like that. I don't think he's just a three-and-D prospect. His passing is also very underrated as well. Um, when he draws two, he makes good reads, and he's even shown some flashes of, like, hitting skip passes and stuff like that. He didn't get a lot of um, creation reps, but I feel like he did have it in his bag. And I think he has his upside is very underrated. Like when he's a real three and D prospect, right? And then he he provides like a different type of uh, defensive element to the Knicks. Like Frank, it's his point of attack defense. RJ, you know, he he can exist in front of wings. Uh, Mitch with his rim protection. Vassell's like with like his off ball defense. It just all combines very well into like a great defensive team and I feel like you know you're not going to win a lot of games but you have an identity at least and it's an identity that the coach loves so I feel like Vassell Sibs would love Vassell as well right like he would love Okoro probably a little bit more but I think he likes Vassell a lot because you know he recognizes how important that team defense is he gets a lot of steals and yeah he's just I believe in the I believe that he has some shot creation ability that is untapped and could be developed. And that's why I like uh, Vassell as my number one prospect. Yeah, my favorite thing about Vassell is he's in constant movement. One of my favorite Knicks that never panned out was Doug McDermott. And the reason for that was whenever he was on the floor, he was always moving. Like there was very few instances where he would just stand in one spot. And Vassell has a similar motor where he is just all over the place. And even if he doesn't have a shot, like, he'll know to go out to the corner. If they close out on him, he'll know to put the ball on the ground. And it's just – I don't know. I just feel like that's underrated, especially for this Knicks team where so long, Eli, you can attest that it was just very stagnant. Just – it felt like pickup ball at certain points last season where Morris or Randall would just dribble the ball until they were, like, four seconds left in the shot clock. And it was just a bad – just a bad – I don't even know what to call it, flow. It was just lack of everything. So I think Vassell would just find a way to get open, which is step one for the Knicks at this point. Yeah, plus one of the things that I've talked about kind of ad nauseum during this offseason is how desperately they need, for the exact reasons you were just describing, but just quick decision makers. And it seems like Vassell has a little bit of that. Like, you know, you – Rebel, you talked about his uh, untapped playmaking, but it does sort of seem like he's a guy who makes a decision quickly. Either he takes the shot or he moves the ball. And yeah, I've just, because of watching Morris and Randall and even, you know, RJ was guilty of it too. And we had Alonzo Trier, we had Dennis Smith, we had Frank, who's kind of different, but his slowness comes from just like reading the game slowly and being afraid to make mistakes. Um, so just having people who can make just like quick snap decisions and, you know, tr- you can trust that they'll actually make the right decision seems so, so important for them. So, so you, you're saying that you would, if both are on the board, you would take Vassell over Killian for the Knicks. Is that right, Rebel? Yeah, I wanted to yeah. get into that. Thanks. Yeah, so I'm going to give you my argument right now. I have Killian as my number two prospect. The only thing I worry about is the Killian's uh, scalability. I think people uh, under like don't talk about it because he's not a good spot up shooter, and he's gonna it's gonna take a while for him to become an initiator. So it's like there is a chance that he becomes like the wrong initiator in um 
on the Knicks because that's not a great fail either. I mean, like, you know, it's the most obvious thing is that Kim and RJ are both left-handed players. So I don't know how that works, right? And then, you know, what if Killian just becomes a great off, like, you know, um, off the dribble shooter, but he can't, you know, hit spot-ups for like two years in a row. That could happen. So I feel like, you know, um, just thinking about all of that, you have to really consider like RJ and like, even though Mitch would get a lot more, um, you know, lot plays, I feel like Vassell is the more scalable option. And then uh, you tank next year and then you get your initiator. So that's how I would look at it because as good as Vassell is and as good as that defense would be, um, I mean, the offense is just going to be bad because, you know, Vassal's just not ready to be a creator yet. Like, he has no handle right now, and he's pretty skinny. So I don't believe in him being, like, an, a real option or anything. But, yeah, and then there, there's, like, a huge, like, log jam at PG, too. Like, I'm not saying these guys are, like, good at anything or, like, that Killian shouldn't be, like, you know, starting over them. But, like, that's a real – it's a real issue when, like, DSJ is like working hard trying to make a comeback. And then Frank is like, you know, Frank is going to get minutes at the point or at the two. And like, you know, they're all going to be fighting for minutes, even though he's like the eighth pick. So it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a hard situation to, to put Killian in. And I don't know if he's like ready for that. Like he doesn't really strike me as the guy that is like, um, like, you know, like, it sounds cliche, but, like, ready for the spotlight, like, ready, like, you know, could face adversity. I don't think he's, like, a player that is like that. So, I feel like, you know, that's a tough situation to put him in. Yeah, and Killian's my favorite prospect out of everybody, so it pains me to hear that. But there is no fault in your logic because you have RJ, and then Randall still isn't gone yet, so we have to also take an account for Randall in New York. And just the so- left hand. Exactly. And just so people, some people won't understand why that's a problem. Can you just explain why having so many lefty dominant people? Because a counter to that could be, well, everyone's righty. So can you just explain why having multiple lefties is such an issue or would be an issue in Killian's case, maybe not be an issue for everyone else, but for the Knicks purposes. Yeah. I mean, there's, you could say, oh, everyone's a righty, but not everyone's like super right hand dominant. And I feel like RJ and Killian both like operate kind of like the um, similarly. And I feel like it just would Randall too, like wanting post-ups on the left side. Then like, it just, it just, it just like, it sounds like a mess and it sounds like you need like a really good coach to, um, you know, really like uh, figure that out. And I don't know if Stibbs could do that. Like he's never been like a very like advanced X is an O guy. So I'm not really a fan of um, that happening. I mean, I can get it because, you know, Killing clearly has more upside, but I think Vassell is just like, you know, the more like just a better pick to me. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised to hear that for sure. But like Mike said, the logic makes sense. And I think that one of the other things when like when you're talking about scalability, the other thing that comes to my mind is that like the Knicks as currently constructed are full of people who are just like weird fits like with each other, but just also in general, like you have to put 
certain things around them, whether it's Randall or RJ or Frank or like Mitch, I think is probably the least so just because, you know, it's easy to, to make an offense with a run and jump guy, like a, a dive man. But so the, the idea of having a guy like Vassell who can sort of fit any scheme and any system, like as many players as you can have that are easy fits with like, regardless of who's around them, would make, you know, a non-creative coach like Tibbs' job a lot easier, it seems like. And even though, like, like Mike, I love Killian. I think he seems like he's got a ton of potential. But, it, yeah, you do have similar sort of, like, the, the questions about his spot-up jumper and the questions about, you know, having so many left-handed dominant people. Like, it, it really does sort of make sense, especially if you're thinking, like, okay, well, next year we're going to get, like, our guy who sort of, takes us over the top and can be our engine well if that's going to be the case then you sort of you need those people who can just fit any mold around them and so that is a huge argument for Vassell because he's right. just rock solid and like every team in the league could use a Vassell yeah and another thing that Robel hit on that I feel like kind of been underrated Eli where Thibodeau was brought in for player development yes but I still want to see how committed he is to the slow burn approach. He might just want like a Vassell who he can still plug in. I mean, obviously development is still needed, but I feel like Vassell or Kira or even LaMelo, I wanted to get your thoughts on LaMelo, by the way, Robel, but you know, just the prospect that Tibbs can say, okay, you're going to be part of this unit or you're going to start. Let's go. I don't know if he's going to be as patient with someone like Killian and the concerns you brought up are valid ones where everyone's kind of fallen in love with Killian's that step back that looks like Harden. And we've kind of overlooked and me, myself most has kind of overlooked the potential. If he's put in this environment where he can't succeed, I believe Wasserman was one of the first people on that too, where he likes Killian, but New York is just not set up right now where he can maximize his potential. I really like him in Phoenix. Where do you like Killian? Robel? Yeah, I love him at Phoenix. I mean, I love my Phoenix Suns. I, I like him at uh, Chicago, too. I think that's a good fit for him. Um, where else? Don't like him in Detroit that much, but I could see it. I would cry. I, I can't. Detroit, I don't know. Detroit's just. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean, no one likes Detroit, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Honestly. But, I mean, you know, he does at least have, like, he doesn't have to, like, have the keys right away because there's still Blake there, but you don't even know how long Blake will be there. Yeah, so. that's what. Yeah, that's, another, that's a weird thing because Detroit's right in front of the Knicks, and I have zero clue what prospect they're on. They've been tight-lipped, and they don't really have much after Blake, if I'm not mistaken. I know Seiko's there, obviously. I think right now, the, I mean, Eli, am I missing someone that Christian they've got Luke Kennard? But you know, there's all the questions about his knee injury, and then yeah, the the Christian Wood question. Yeah, Wood. Yeah, but I figured he's gone. I'm assuming yeah. he's gone, but if he stays, Wood, Wood's solid. I like Wood. All right, and we're back. So we teased it a little earlier, the Vassell video. It was very bizarre to me because it was on Twitter for like maybe two, three hours. Everyone freaked out about his release. So, Rebel, what did you take away from that video and – do you think he was just stretching? Because there's a conspiracy that he was just, you know, goofing off in the gym after a workout. Did you put any stock into that video at all? Yeah. 
I'm not gonna put any stock into it because it was two shots. Um, I mean, what I think is it's either he was messing around, which could very well be the case. Um, you know, these people are human guys. Like you gotta think about that. And either that or he just struggles with uh, shooting from far. And he was shooting from really far. So um, when when you know when you need more range and you're not using your legs as much you tend to like shoot it like players tend to change up the shot a little bit and like he already has kind of a hitch so i think he had to like uh you know like do it like take it even further back to get more power and i feel like that could be like i mean it's not gonna be a huge problem because i don't see him taking like super deep threes and it's he does take NBA threes as well. It, his form didn't change much when that happened, but that could be the case. But I don't really see it as, like, a huge problem. And I'm not going to take two shots as, like, oh, my God, his form is destroyed. When I saw him take, like, you know, like 100 shots and he, like, you know, he shot 40%. So it's, like, I'm not, I don't want to look that much into it. Yeah, the people who are talking about, you know, dropping him down their draft boards based on that, it seems like, a real overreaction. And like you said, it, it does sort of seem like, obviously this was a super extreme, you know, uh, adjustment, tinkering, whatever you'd call it. But like, he does sort of have that, like a little bit of that above the head shot anyway. So this did seem to sort of like an extension of that, like taken to a ridiculous extreme. Um, did you, did you think, you don't think that it like indicates some like major drastic change in his form, right? Yeah, I don't I don't believe that he changed his form. And I mean I don't know why people are putting putting them down there on their boards because I mean why? Like what's the real reason? So if you go back, you know, if people ask you about your board, like you know, like a couple months later, you could still say, Okay, I had Vassell, you know, like top five because of the college work and then his shot then, you know, his shot then like pan out because he changed his jumper but I still evaluated him because of the tape I think we're supposed to be evaluating by you know watching actual games not watching two shots I don't think like I would ever move someone down because I saw like a bad you know a bad video so yeah like I don't know I don't understand that but I don't think this is a huge change in his form Uh, I really hope not like I'm being optimistic here so uh yeah like and and if if the Michael Bridges the Michael Bridges things did happen again, uh, that would really suck. But I'm trying to be optimistic here, and I believe uh, the FSU assistant coach who said like he was just messing around. So yeah, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think it just also dropped during peak down season in terms of nothing else was going on, especially in Nick's Twitter, and Nick's Twitter has kind of been dissecting every prospect because that's all we've had to do since March and that small video just a the jokes you have to get your jokes off and then b I feel like people just wanted a reason to not want him because Knicks fans have this complex where if you're not a star you're a bum and maybe Vassell is a star but I think he's more of just a good player which we need and people just kind of find ways to write it off but I, I agree with you I do think he was just goofing off Worst case scenario, if it is like a McCaw Bridges thing, 
I mean, I guess that's not worst case scenario. Worst case scenario would be like a Markel Fultz thing, but like yeah, that was you know, Bridges shot fine from three this year. Like it, it definitely took him a, a little bit to rebound. Also, a funny side note: I just googled it just to make sure that he actually did shoot fine from three. And Elliot Kobo is the picture that pops up on Google when you Google <laughs> yeah. Bridges. Um, he needs a little bit more respect on his name than that, I think. Jeez. But like, but yeah, like you know, with a NBA team and with a development staff that the Knicks have been working hard to put in place, like even if there was some unfortunate tinkering, like it, it doesn't seem like it would be something that should drastically change your opinion of the prospect. All right, and then Robert, I wanted to ask you, just since we're on this topic, if you're a top prospect already, and in Vassell's case, shooting was a part of him becoming a highly touted prospect, why would you even mess with your shot? Like, in RJ's case, I kind of got it because his shooting was never that great. But if you got that far, it's kind of like in baseball where why would you work on your swing if you became a top prospect with that swing type of thing? You know what I mean? Yeah, I would never. If I was a good shooter, if I'm shooting over – if I'm shooting 35%, even 34%, I'm not changing changing my jump shot. Like, no, like, I'm not risking that. Like, if a team wants to change your jump shot, then they'll do it when once they draft, you know? Then invest that time. Don't do it for teams to, like, potentially, you know, move up a little bit. It's just such nearsighted uh, thinking. And, I mean – People don't understand how long it takes to really improve your shot and really uh, get that uh, pattern recognition, um, like you know, in your in your brain. And honestly, the way I, I look at like shooting coaches, they're really outdated. Like the you gotta stand square to the basket, jump straight up and down, elbow fully aligned. I don't like really. Uh, that's so like it doesn't it just doesn't work that well like because RJ does all those things and he's still a bad shooter so it's like clearly you know um, shooting like shooting uh, lessons need to be changed so uh, and a lot of you know shooting coaches they still look at that they still uh, that's their bible so I mean it's it's I don't know why you would trust like a guy before you're gonna get drafted to change your jump shot I would like heavily go against that yeah I think the 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 most important thing you said is like about if if a team wants to change your jump shot they're gonna draft you and then work on your jump shot and like I don't know I feel like the amount of times we see people change their jump shot before a draft and it going badly seems to outnumber the amount of time we see like changing a jump shot like in a meaningful way and it going well and like again like that is what the team is investing resources in you hopefully to, you know, turn you into the best possible version of yourself, which includes improving the jump shot. So like if you're making them undo what you just did and then start again, like it really seems like a self-defeating thing. And it, it seems like something that we, we've been seeing like a little bit more from prospects and maybe it's just because of like, there's so many, you know, um, people following in the Drew Hanlon line and like Drew Hanlon's great at what he does. So that's not a dig at him at all, but there's like, it has spawned this like, you know, Instagram trainer generation. And I, I don't know, it seems like a, a very risky move anytime you're talking about, you know, these like million dollar contracts that you're going for and you're doing something that dramatic, like in the lead up to a draft. Did they know why they changed Mikel shot? I meant to ask that like a couple of seconds ago, but 
I do remember it changing. What was the reasoning behind that? Because he was one of the better shooters coming into that class. I still don't remember why exactly. I don't even – was it the Suns? Yeah, it had to be the Suns. Why they were messing with a shot, or was it something he did by himself? I was confused. Yeah, I, I don't remember the story. I think it was someone like his uh, – related to his agency. Nah. And I don't know. I did remember Mikhail having more like – he was he was like – he had more of a – he had like a weird type of dip, like his dip placement was kind of weird. So I guess they wanted to change that. But I mean, like his form was beautiful regardless. So it's just like, no, just don't do it. I mean, like, like I said, like if, if like non-shooters, like if a curl gets drafted and people fix their shot, then you don't have to worry about uh, your jump shot being better because even if you change it and yeah, you're making like, like, let's say you're changing your shot. It's way better. You hit like 53s in a row. There's still uncertainty, like, you know, how, will this translate into game? Because, you know, your old jump shot did or did not work in game. So it's like, you're even if you improved as a shooter, it's still hard to prove that. So it's like, just don't do it. Yeah, we experienced that a little bit with Dennis Smith, where Keith Smart worked with him over last offseason. And there were times it felt like, he was you could see him thinking about it on the floor like he would have a wide open three and he would just stand there with the ball and then dribble a couple steps and then shoot a brick so it's also that too where you're kind of like oh shit wait i can't use my old release i'm gonna use my new release i'm not a fan of it at all especially in the case of Vassell. or i put Vassell in the similar category as mikhail in terms of his shooting was a key part of him getting there but i did want to switch gears to someone else who has a suspect shot according to some, but he's still one of the top prospects. And that is LaMelo Ball. There are reports that he's been performing badly in interviews and at workouts too, Eli, or is it just interviews that he's... I think I don't think he's doing any workouts. I think it's just been interviews. Okay, so it's just interviews. My conspiracy theory brain is going off the wall right now because I still think he wants to end up in New York. So before we even broach Lamella in New York. How do you feel on his shot? Because that seems to be every argument against Lamella because his vision is self-evident. Um, I mean, like, is he, a, is he a bad shooter or a non-shooter? I feel like he's an inconsistent one. Um, I think it doesn't matter as much as people say it is because shooting only hurts a team if people are not going to guard you. And people blitz LaMelo when he's in the pick and roll because they're trying to take away that pull-up three. So it's like, it's like, yeah, he, he might have low percentages and he probably will have low percentages for a while. But Luca also shot 31% from three. And they still guard every shot because, like, he has that pull-up gravity, right? Yep. So. And LaMelo gets those pull-up threes off. Like, he gets enough space for it. It's not like he's just chucking stuff. Like, a part of it is, like, you know, the he has that, uh, like, boldness and creativity of, like, yeah, I might just shoot this, like, 40-foot jump shot right now because I feel like it. But I feel like um, in the NBA that will be uh, – those those reins will be pulled because he is alongside better players that he will be respecting. That he will be respecting, and they'll just look at him like, come on, like, you can't, you can't, you know. Like, you can't do that. I need the ball. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, 
I mean, I see Lamella as like a 33% shooter, but with high volume. And I think that's very good because the pull-up threes are there. He's going to get them off. It's going to create space for other people because, uh, you know, he's going to get blitzed and he's an amazing passer out of it. So it's like he uses the, the three-point gravity as a weapon, not being left open in the corner. And then as a spot-up shooter, he, I think he shot – I think Spencer Perlman, who writes for the Stepien – on this report, said that he shot 38% on the uh, catch-and-shoot threes. And then as a spot-up shooter, his synergy uh, profile, it was really good as well. So it's like off the ball, and the eye, the eye test has showed it to me too. So like as a spot-up shooter, as a catch-and-shoot guy, I think he's a very solid shooter. Like So it's like, I mean, he's an inconsistent shooter, but someone with that type of passing, someone that's uh, – sorry. That's gonna get um, so much pick and roll gravity as a score. It's like I don't worry about the shot at all. We need to really worry about his contact aversion at like six seven. That's a real like thing that scares me. Right. Yeah. I wanted to get into that because just to put a bow on his shooting, Trey Young's a great example of volume over percentage. His rookie year, he shot better. His second year, but rookie year, he was shooting shooting thirty two percent. So, and I don't think the Hawks fans were up in arms about a low percentage. So, yeah, get into that contact because that's been a key thing against Halliburton, which is true because Halliburton rarely ventured to the rim. But LaMelo as well. So what's wrong with LaMelo's drive? Is he just avoiding contact? Or do you think he just doesn't have the touch? What's going on there? No, LaMelo, LaMelo could get to the rim. It's just he's just afraid of hitting someone. That's the thing. Like, he's literally like – he has at least he has like nice uh, body contortion and his touch is like elite. Like he has, he's one of the best touch guys in his class. Like I think he's a good finisher at the rim. It's just when there's a body there, he he like like he just throw it up in the air. Like I've seen him hit like side backboard just to avoid a rim protector. Like the he goes to great lengths to avoiding getting hit and. I mean, that's hard to overcome. That's really hard to just say, yeah, once he gets bigger, he automatically wants to uh, draw more contact. And it just doesn't work like that. So there's a lot of players that even when they get big, like Desmond Bain is strong as hell. And even Desmond Bain is not that good at, uh, what's it called, finishing through, um, through contact. So it's like, it just doesn't mean just because he got stronger doesn't mean he wants to have the willingness to attack the pain that really body guys. So that's the one thing I'm worried about. Like, low free throw rate uh, scares me, especially if he's not, like, an elite shooter. So, yeah, I think he has to um, – I don't know how you're going to really find a way for him to embrace contact. I don't know. It's hard. Like, but, I mean, it has to, it has to, it has to be done because he's 6'7", maybe 6'8", and, you know, you can't just rely on craft finishes at that size all the time. Well, it's interesting, you know, talking about getting bigger because one of the things I noticed for him, both in terms of the shooting and the finishing, is it seems like he still has a lot of habits from when he was like a super skinny 5'11 kid uh, going up against people like five years older than him because that's sort of how he came up in uh, Chino Hills. And so I do sort of wonder if both like the weird form that he has on his jump shot where he's like, chucking it from his waist and this aversion to contact is sort of a remnant of when he was like the littlest guy on the floor at all times. And so I, I think you're totally right. that like changing a mentality 
is probably got to be one of the harder things you can do. Just, you know, you can, you can say, we, we talk, we talk about this all the time with Frank, because, you know, he's big and he's really long and he's getting stronger and stronger every year, but he's still so timid. Um, but with LaMelo, I do sort of wonder if just like as he gets more and more used to, like as he gets older and just like in, inhabits that 6'8 body more and just like, is like, oh, wait, this is who I am. Like I'm a huge dude and I'm bigger than every single guard on the floor. If that might be something that sort of just comes about a little bit na more naturally. Versus, like, you know, someone who's, like, you know, incrementally grown, but, like, is still a little bit more averse to contact. Like, he seems like he had, like, a pretty intense growth spurt. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, so his his willingness to, you know, embrace contact shows when he was getting guarded by, like, uh, smaller guards. And when I say smaller, it's, like, six three, six four because they those guys look small in front of him, right? Then he's just like, okay, like I can finish through this guy because I'm just taller. Um, so that's at least nice to see because, you know, a lot of six, six, seven guards in the NBA. So um, I just worry about like when he actually gets to the rim and finishes. I remember the last two games before uh, he shut it down. He did show like more of a willingness to get to the rim and uh, finish. It wasn't like like chest to chest or nothing like that, like Maxi, but he did show like at least like I could get hit a little bit and then a, like I can dislodge him a little bit and then make like a nice craft finish. I mean, I just like, for me, it's like a more of a preference thing that he uh, draws more contact because I mean like, you know, for a six, four guy, it's like, okay, you can, you know, use craft and stuff like that because you're just smaller but then, like, if, when you're 6'7", you just can't rely on these uh, double-clutch layups all the time, even though he does have nice touch. But, yeah, I'd just like to see him improve that free throw rate. And does playing with someone like Mitch, so if he doesn't like contact, if he can just get to the rim, he might not even need to draw it. He can just have Mitch come screaming down the lane and catch a lob. Yeah. Like and Raymond Felton used to. Felton used to just, like, throw – layups up at the rim knowing he was going to miss it because Tyson Chandler was there to clean it all up yeah and then Lamella has that floater too right so it's like if they play the pass that he can just have that floater because they're just not gonna hit him if they're gonna play the pass so it's like yeah like playing with like a real like you know lob threat would be great for him to like avoid those like uh finishing like issues yeah and I also have a feeling he has the personality where if he throws it down on a center from then on, the worry's just gone because he's just going to start trying to dunk every time he drives to the rim. But before we let you go, I wanted to get your take on free agency. We talk a lot about the draft. And there's a player that you're familiar with, Fred Van Vliet. <clears throat> and if the Knicks do not address guard in the draft, at least not at number eight, where they can go Vassell or Okoro, as we've talked about, Fred Van Vliet has become one of the names that the Knicks are already tied to in addition to Chris Paul. But if you've seen a lot of Van Vliet, which I know you have, how do you feel about him coming to New York? And do you think he would be a player that the Knicks should invest heavily in? And heavily in the sense that would you give him, I don't know, what's, I think it's like 10 to 12 a year that he's rumored to get. So do you think that's something the Knicks should be pushing for? I mean, yeah, ten. I think he's probably going to get more than 10 to 12. He's probably going to get closer to like 18, and I would do it if I was the Knicks. Um, the, 
the reason is like um you have to when you're rebuilding and you when you have players you want to make sure you surround them with uh free agents that are scalable with them and the Knicks did a horrible job of that last year and it's the reason why RJ had horrible percentages but when you get Fred Van Vliet who is he's not a primary initiator and that's like his issue but I mean, he could do it. It's just not for a winning team. And then you're not already looking to win games. So it's like, have Fred Van Vliet make these mistakes and like fully realize his limitations so you can lose games and then like tank. But he solves a lot of problems. Like he he um, he gives a lot of space to RJ. He like uh, lessens his burden by a lot. And then he's, uh, he could play well with Mitch. Uh, plays well with Frank because like, you know, you can have Frank not, you know, be a point guard. You can have Frank as off off guard uh, for Vassell too, because, you know, Vassell won't be having the ball a lot. He just like, Fred Van Vliet's like biggest, like uh, skills that he just fits with everyone. Like everyone in the league, like could use Van Vliet right now. Right. And it's just like, yeah, he will be overextended, but you're not looking to go to the playoffs. Right. So it's like, that's why I like him a lot there. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you are a Raptors fan, right? Yeah. Okay, so what number would you not want the Raptors to match him at? And do you think that that number would make sense for the Knicks to go to? I wouldn't pay him, like, like once he starts talking about, like, over anything over, like, 22. Because... I think Malcolm Brogdon got paid like 21 mil and I think they're like like neck and neck as players. I think Fred Van Vliet's actually better. But um, yeah, anything over that, then you might have to walk. And like, I mean, it's a bad situation for the Raptors because it's just like, if Fred Van Vliet leaves, who are you going to like, who's going to be the point guard of the future? Like, it's tough because you don't have any, like, you don't have another team's draft pick so you can't just draft like, a guy in like the the mid, you know, you can't get Kyra like, you know, maybe you Malachi like, Flynn. I'm, I'm, but like Malachi Flynn is like Fred Van Vliet light. Like he's yeah. like he, he's like the worst version of that. So it's like, do you really want that? Because Fred's not the the lead guy, right? So it's like, um, and then Malachi won't be that either if he becomes even if he becomes a starter. But like that is just an issue. It's just a point guard of the future. That's why I feel like they will. The Raptors will overpay a little bit, but I would start, you know, uh, I would I would tell them, yeah, like, you know, show me another team that will give you 22 mil and then we'll give you 22 mil. That's how, that's how I would uh, change that direction of the negotiation. And then for the next, I would do it. I would give them like a three-year deal, not like like a five-year deal. Like don't, don't uh, mess it up like that because he's like a, he helps as, uh, he helps the development he helps develop the young guys. That's what he is there for. He's not there to bring it to the playoffs. And then you tank, you get a BJ, a Cade, Kaminga, and then they become like the kind of the initiator. And then he becomes like the perfect off guard. RG becomes something. Frank, who knows if, if you know, if he pops. And then Mitch, and that's just a great team. So I would like that. And full, and I am a massive idiot. I was just looking it up. The Knicks are actually in on Van Vliet, and if they were, I believe the price tag would be 18 to 22 mil per year. So three-year deal, though, they said. So 
that sounds about just what you were saying. And I liked him, but I only watch like I loved watching the rappers this past year. So I haven't most of the time I've watched them. It's been in the playoffs, and <laughs> he seems to turn it up during the playoffs. Except he kind of tailed off towards the end of this one, but his championship run was legendary. I thought. Um, yeah. Since he struggles, sorry, not um, Like the reason why I didn't do as great with uh, Boston, he struggles with like. Uh, bigger wings guarding him. Like, he was getting guarded by Smart and, like, Jalen Brown. So, like, you know, at the end of the day, he's, like, 5'11". So, small guards are going to have some trouble. But, I mean, against the Nets series, he, he like, cooked them. And then there's, like, he's – one thing about him, his mentality is, like, fits perfectly with uh, Stibbs and the Knicks. Like, that's someone that's, like, ready for the spotlight. Even if he has, like, a cold stretch for a month where he's just not hitting anything, he just won't care what anyone says about him. Like, uh, and then he, like, demands, like, uh, perfection from everyone else. And I feel like that – I feel like the Knicks really need a guy that they need to look towards to. Like, I remember when Julius Randle said, uh, I wasn't a bad – I wasn't a good leader. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> you're exactly right. And I feel like um, – Unfortunately. And I've lead someone that, that other people can look up to and, like, you know, respect. And, you know, if he doesn't pass them the ball that possession, then they won't care. They'll still, like, stay engaged, you know? RJ yeah. will, will still be engaged and stuff like that, not like do the tunnel vision thing. But yeah. So, yeah, that worries me a little bit just because I don't think the Knicks would have anyone to take the pressure off Van Vliet. Like, I believe, what, like, if in crunch time, if it came close, he would probably be drawing similar matchups to what he drew against Boston. So, I think it's, I, I, would, I personally like Van Vliet on a, where he is right now on the Raptors because I like the way that team is already built. But since you are a Raptors fan, this is a little off script, but Terrence Davis made the all-rookie team over R.J. Barrett. And since you watched probably more Terrence Davis than me and Eli, do you think that was the right call? Because our good friend Kyle Maggio did not. I did not. So did you think it was the right call, or would you have had R.J. over Terrence? I mean, I don't want to say anything good about Terrence Davis at all uh, because of what happened. If you guys don't know, he did – he like beat up his girlfriend like he, yeah he got like seven charges right seven charges, wait yeah. what yeah so i'm really oh, like jesus rj deserved it over him i don't want to say <laughs> yeah we'll just it. leave it at that we'll okay yeah, right yeah. There. all right well that was short right, and sweet I, on that one <laughs> i've got a i've got a question for you and this might actually be the most important question of the entire pod and i know that nick's fans will be clamoring to hear it because you've talked a few times now about frank and I don't know if you know this, but the mere mention of Frank's name is enough to start like bloody civil wars on Nick's Twitter. So where do you fall on Frank? Do you think, do you see him as being a productive NBA player? Like maybe regardless of whether he's like a starter, a bench player, a point guard, a wing, whatever it is, do you, do you see a role for him moving forward? Yeah, I do. I mean, he'll be like, I mean, I was always just waiting for the Knicks to give up on them so the Raptors <laughs> could sign him. I'm not gonna lie, um, because I feel like he can he could be a starter, and I feel like he could be a starter on this Knicks team. But on even even on a contending team, he's still gonna be like a, a good rotation player because the defense is like amazing, and I feel like if the Knicks you know decide to give up on him, another team could play like teams will quickly pick him up because they'll just be like, all right, we'll be the one, like, we're, we're going to fix a shot. Don't worry about it. We're going to like fix his mentality. 
So, uh, yeah, like, I, when you guys talk about him being passive, and when I see him, it doesn't remind me of, like, Patrick McCaw, because Patrick McCaw is, like, very passive as well. Like, he just doesn't want to get to the rim or even take shots. But I feel like Frank does have a willingness, at least sometimes. Like, I've seen him flash it. And in his rookie year, he had, like, a lot of high points. Like, where I'm just like, oh, my God. I mean, oh, my God. Frank is, like, you know, operating pick and roll perfectly with uh, Porzingis. Like, I'm liking what I'm seeing right now. So I think he still has a bit of that in him. He just needs to be a little bit more empowered. I don't know how and in what way that will happen. But with, with the new development staff, I still see a chance in him. And I think he could be uh, a starter on the Knicks and then just a high, a good rotation player on championship teams. Kyle Maggio, I hope you're listening to this. Yes, I was just about to say that. <laughs> I was like, I could, you could not have put that any better. Do you think he's – I don't know if Eli asked this because do you think Frank could be a reliable point guard option for the Knicks? Not Maybe not starter level, but do you see him as more of an off-ball? Like I've often thought that he can be like a Thabo type of player where he's a great defender and he kind of spaces the floor, hopefully shooting to more corner threes. But do you like him as a point guard? Yeah, I don't. I, I just don't think he gets to the rim or like has a – a good pull-up so it's just I wouldn't have him have a lot of on-ball reps and I feel like some of his passive uh positivity comes from on the ball and it, it hurts other people like he's just like he'll dribble the ball up and then just pass it and then he'll like run the other side it's just like it's kind of a it's it, it hurts other players like when he's like as a point guard and then you could be like yeah he could be a six-man point guard off the bench but I feel I feel like that's just a waste of this uh like potential off-ball ability. So I think he's like off, off, um, off-ball off guard. The shot yeah. needs to like work. Like just the shot, just just hit, just hit jump shots. That's all I want from him. Yeah, I think he's a, a perfect low-maintenance starter. Low-maintenance on offense I'm talking about. Because when there was the dream of Durant and friend, I always felt Frank is probably ideal in those type of lineups just because he doesn't really require a ton of shots and you know he's going to defend his ass off. So hopefully Thibodeau hits on that because I really do. I have the same fear that most Nick fans who like Frank do that they will, as you said, give up on him and he's going to go to another team that's going to use him. Like the Raptors would use him perfectly, I think, because they just seem to use everyone perfectly. But uh, yeah, Eli, you got anything else? Um, no, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, I guess the last thing we should say, cause we've, we've talked about him a fair amount, but we haven't actually like directly addressed him is like, as we've said, RJ and Mitch seem to be the core moving forward. And just like, what are your thoughts on them as a pairing or as individuals and like how, how you see them being successful moving forward? Like, do you, do you see them as potentially being like one of like the better young duos in the league or do you think that you know do, do you think that they are a pair that's worth building around I guess I mean it's kind of to be determined until I see the third guy like until I see who you guys will draft this year I don't see them as like a crazy like duo like a Jaron Jackson John Moran or like a uh, Trey Young John Collins type of thing but I do like their chemistry together I think I wouldn't like call them like a duo. I would just call them as like individual players mostly because like, you know, it's not like it's a creator and it's like a guy that uh, could 
like a play finisher. It's not like that. So it's like I wouldn't look at them as like, you know, this is like the duo. I think they're they're worth building around for now. We just need to see uh we just need to see how the win loss uh column will look like in these next few years. For sure. Do you do you see like RJ as having the ability because like it's it's pretty clear that he's not gonna be the number one guy on a really, really good team. Um or like a team that has like really serious aspirations, but do you think he could be like, and obviously a lot of it is contingent on the shot, but do you think he could be one of those like two second or third option on a really good like playoff team with his, you know, combination of defense and playmaking and getting to the rim? I see a more like high end outcome is probably like three. And then like reasonable outcome is like four. So like a four starter that's mm-hmm. how i look at him like i just think he does lost he does a lot of he could do potentially a lot of things well the rim pressure is valuable um the finishing does need to improve obviously but it's like i mean he he has the hard part down you know he can get to the rim so uh the passing is nice the the shot i i believe in it as a spot up level and then yeah and then the defense is solid so it's like I, I, I don't see him as, like, a really good score or anything. That's why it's, like, I don't see him as, like, a, a great decision maker, like someone that reads the defense well and, like, you know, um, has a lot of moves or, like, you know, he doesn't have any, like, shake, wiggle, handle. Sorry to say it. I, I know Knicks fans hate the word wiggle, but he doesn't have it. I'm sorry. But, yeah, that's why I see him more as a third, fourth option. Yeah, that seems totally fair. And you're right. He does it. I I say sometimes that, like if you could give him like Shea Gilgis Alexander's wiggle, like you'd have one of the most interesting young wings in the league. But unfortunately, he's just he's he's kind of stiff, and he seems to like really premeditate what he wants to do. And you know, he he's he's good at getting to where he wants to go. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, like this will be a big off season for him. Yeah, I agree. And the good news is, if it all goes to shit again, we can dream about Cade. And we think, almost certainly will be. Yes. And just real quick, Robo, how do you is the Cade hype worth it? I know it's very early on, but the stuff I've seen from high school and just clips overall, I'm already getting the Cade season shirts printed. Yeah, I'm in a video about Cade, so if you guys don't like, if you guys want to watch a scouting report, the listeners, uh, you guys can go watch that on my channel, so me and Coach. But, yeah, Kate is definitely worth it. Like, it's just a big Y-E-S capital. It's like, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's the easiest, like, number one pick. Uh, the only thing I want to see is just more three-point volume and uh, willingness to, you know, use that verb more and, like, try to finish above the rim more. I think – People don't talk about how uh, he had a he had a bad injury dunking trying to dunk on someone, and I could still see kind of like the yips every time he's like close to the rim, and that mm. does like affect his finishing. That's the only concern I have. I mean, a lot of people are super high on him, but like that's the one thing that like it needs to be addressed because you know he, he's supposed to be a guy that's uh, an amazing finisher at the rim, and I think he is. He has amazing touch. Uh, he could just bully guys easily there. It's just sometimes that mentality is hard to fix. Yeah. No, I will definitely 
be watching that video and I will put it in the pod link as well because I really do think he's going to be on Knicks fans' mind for the next 12 months or wherever the next draft is because I've, I don't see the team drastically turning it around. But that's an even more reason to bring you back. So on that note, Robel, thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you on anytime you can. Eli, you got anything to plug? Uh, yep, I got a piece that should be coming out around the same time as this pod that's just going to be about uh, the recent rumors about trying to use cap space to acquire bad contracts and additional assets. Uh, just be going through a ton of the names out there and talking about how, if they make sense. So go check that out on the Knicks wall. Yeah, we'll do. And like I said, we're going to put Robel's YouTube channel, Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. Make sure you watch those videos. Robel, you have any video coming up that hasn't been released yet? Yeah, Kyle Lou's video is coming out uh, soon. Give me like four days and then it'll be out. So, yeah. Required viewing for all of the Knicks fans. Yes, I was just about to say it. Yep. So, Knicks fans, (laughs) definitely smash that subscribe button for this podcast and for Robel's channel. Until next time, guys. Perfect. Yo, good shit, man. Right, I really timing. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. The, the Rebel, the only reason I rushed that is right now it says less than a minute. I swear to God, it's just yeah. going to randomly <laughs> cut out because we are, we have to get a Zoom upgrade, but it's actually pretty fun because you try and finish before this shit cuts yeah, off. Yeah, a little excitement. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, um, we will definitely be reaching out. If you want to come back on, by all means, because that was great. And if I got to watch the Cade video before, but I definitely want to talk more about him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It was fun. Ah, yeah, out, absolutely. Man. All right, brothers. Take it easy. All, All right. right be too. good, guys. Yeah. Yeah.